Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. It's been a long week and it ain't been Wednesday. <laughs> Brother Newbern said that a couple weeks, Wednesday nights ago. And there's so much truth to that. The world we live in today, so many things is changing, so many things is in our world and but we're in the house tonight where we only hit the refuge of Jesus, his hand tonight. Yes. Tonight I'm going to, uh, a couple of weeks ago I was supposed to teach on a Sunday morning, but we had a, had a, had a little storm as Brother Newbern was talking about, a storm that came through. And, and so tonight I feel like God had wanted to share that, 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 that lesson or that message tonight. I feel like as I prayed and, and God Brother Boyd told me to do whatever I felt, and so I felt like to go with the lesson because I feel like God is wanting to share something with this tonight. If you will turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to read one verse, and we'll pray, and you can be seated. 1 Samuel 16 and 7, the Bible says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not, look not on his countenance, or on his height, or his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Tonight I'm going to talk to us about the unexpected and the overlooked. Tonight let us pray. Lord, I ask you to touch us and anoint us tonight. Lord, I ask you to anoint my mind. Lord Jesus, anoint my voice tonight, Lord. Lord, I ask us, Lord Jesus, to anoint this congregation tonight as we, we, we break this word, Lord. Lord, I ask you to touch us and anoint us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God uses those that the world overlooks. God uses the ones that we overlook so many times in life. When we, we, look, at the, we look through the New Testament, we find, we, as we look through the New Testament, we look at the, the ones that God chose, His chosen his chosen group of men, you know, the, the 12 disciples. And we look at these chosen men, and these, these chosen men is men that we wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have picked if we was going to share the gospel. If we wanted someone to live, we were going to leave, the, you know, if we felt like somebody said, okay, we need to leave the gospel to these guys or find 12 men in this world that we can leave the gospel to to, to put a revival that's going to shake the whole world. And these 12 guys, we probably, you know, we stood them up here tonight before they was called to, or probably even during their time ministry, but even before they was called, there would have been 12 men that we wouldn't have picked. We'd overlooked them. But oftentimes the unknown, the unheralded, and the overlooked have played significant roles throughout history and certainly in God's kingdom. Because God used people that nobody else thought that was worth using. So many times in life, you know, we, we see people walk through the door and, and I was talking to a, one of the guys that I work with today and 
I told him I was speaking tonight, and he asked me, he says, what are you speaking about? And I kind of shared a few things with him, and he says, and he, he goes to a church, and actually he works with the youth of their church, and he said that, <clears throat> he says, we do that, every one of us. When someone walks through the back door of the church, we label them. We, we look at them and we say, well, they, will, they won't hear to this. Or we already kind of look at them in our own mind sometimes and we, we kind of look at them and we say, well, they cannot be used or, or they won't, they, they're just here one time. They, they're not coming back. So we even sometimes we look at them, depending on how they're dressed or how they look or how they smell, there's so many different things in their life we look at because our flesh looks at that. And through our flesh, we look at them and through our fleshly eyes, and we look at that and we say, even if we carry on conversation with them. You know, I've caught myself, and I'll be, I'll be transparent. Sometimes I've saw myself, you know, certain people, you know, you seem like you want to go talk to or you, you, you greet yourself. And, and I've, I've made a point in my life, it doesn't matter who they are. If they look like they, they, they just showed up during the middle of church and they show like they may not never come back or they may, whatever it may be. We, we should look at people not with the way we see them. God looks beyond what humanity sees to see the potential in our lives and also in the lives of people that walk through the doors. We often make excuses why it is impossible for us to do anything great for God. We use our excuses. We say, well, like Moses, you know, I can't speak well or I can't do this or I can't do that. We make excuses in our life that why we can't do things or why we can't do anything for God. But God don't look at what our, he don't look at our abilities or he don't look at how our, the things that we can, we can bring to the table. But God looks beyond the obstacles and he calls us to what his grace can accomplish through us. Because it doesn't matter what I can do, how I can speak or how I can do this or that. Or I can come up with all the excuses why I cannot do anything for God. But if God calls you to do something, he's not going to call you to something that he can't equip you to do. And he will equip you to do what he calls you to do. David was overlooked by everybody, everyone that was around him. We look at David. You know, we was, uh, this, this month's lessons have been about David and, and a, lot, a lot about David. And it, but David was overlooked as a child. When, his, when the second king of Israel was to be anointed by, from Jesse's household, no one, even in his own family, thought David would be the one to experience the anointing oil. Even the man of God had a hard time believing that it was God's will for David. He, he looked at the other brothers, the one more obvious choices. He, he couldn't believe that it wasn't one of the more obvious choices, natural, natural ability. Look, the way they, they, they carried their stature, the way they carried their self. But God chose David. And now today, he chooses, he chooses us today. He chooses us to do a lot of things for him. Even though we look at ourselves, and we even our own selves look at ourselves and say, we can't do this. I imagine David probably looked at himself. He said, why don't you use my brother? You know, he's, he's, he's the right stature. He's, he's the way to, to lead. I'm just a child. His flesh, but we know, we know there was something inside of David that, that, that drove him a little bit past that. 
David knew that there was more than just what he had, what he could bring to the table. David knew that, that, that God inside of him could equip him to do whatever it was he needed to do. God's design was not for Israel to have a mortal, mortal king. It wasn't his design to have a king. But Israel was just so distracted by the surrounding nations that they wanted a king to sit on a throne. They wanted a flesh, someone to look at. They wanted someone just like them that, that, that they could, they could that, that breathed the same oxygen they breathed. They, they wanted someone they could, that could lead them into just like all the other nations. Can, you, can I tell you tonight, and we're just like these Israelites? We get those so distracted about the, how the world does things to the point that that's how we want to do it. We, we watch how other churches do their service or we watch how other things do, does this or that. And, and so many times in life, you know, we want to be like everybody else. It's that, that is a fleshly thing. That's flesh that wants to say, well, it's working for them, so why don't want it work for us? So they, they began to demand that they have a man, an earthly man, a man in flesh to sit on a natural throne. Despite all the warnings, Israel measured their success by natural measurements rather than obedience to God. They were measuring themselves upside of everybody else. You know, that's something that we still deal with today. We deal with that today because we, we, we measure ourselves up beside our brothers. We measure ourselves up beside our sisters. Am I doing as much as they are? Or am I doing this or that? Well, I want to be, I want to, just as long as I'm doing better than so-and-so. That's how we measure things. In response to their insistence, God allowed and provided them a king. Though the choice would in time be, would bring great heartache to Israel. He gave them a king. You know, sometimes in life, you know, they, they insisted that's what they wanted. And, you know, sometimes in life, even, even in our own life, sometimes in life, God will give us what we ask for. Even though he knows it's to our own hurt. Sometimes we insist that we, well, I want this in my life or I want that in my life and I want this so bad so after a while, God gives us that. We may say we want a job so bad until we make it God's will. After a while, God will let us have that job. And that job may not be what His will is for us. That is why it's imperative for us to be careful and consider the things that our hearts desires. Everything that we desire, our heart desire, we need to consider is this truly what God wants or best for me? When God gave Israel a king and King Saul, he did not set them up for failure by selecting someone that would fall. In the beginning, Saul was a good man with a humble spirit. But you know, sometimes you know, things, people start out good. Everything starts out on the right foot. So many people is, is in their Christian walk with God, they start out on the right foot. But I've heard, I heard a message here a while back, priest, that no matter how good you start, it's how much you finish, how good you finish. And there's so, much, there's so much truth to that statement. Sadly, that wasn't the end of his story. Saul's failures were merely, but ultimately was, was many, but was, was directly reject, 
from a rejection of godly instructions. That's what brought him his downfall. The Amalekites, a vowed enemy of Israel, had filled the cup of God's wrath to overflowing. But God sent word to Saul by the prophet Samuel that Saul was to utterly destroy this nation, including all of its possessions. Nothing was to be spared, not even the women or the children. While this fearlessness of God's judgment may seem, may seem shocking to us today, when you talk about he's going to take out the women, the children, took out everything, the cows, the, the horses, the, the mules, the, he wanted to wipe out everything. That kind of sounds kind of a little shocking to us tonight. But it speaks on his profound hatred for sin. You know, this is what, you know, when we look at this, you know, say, well, that's kind of going a little too far, I think. And that's what Saul felt. Saul felt, well, that's taking it a little bit too far. We don't got to go that far. But that is how much how God hates sin. That he'll wipe, he wants it wiped out completely. Doesn't matter what. He wants the, the, the source, the future of all that sin wiped out. It should have convinced Saul that God was quite serious about this matter. When this was the command. When he, he got this command, he should have realized this is, God is pretty serious about this. Instead, Saul chose to judge the Amalekites from his limited human perspective rather than through the lens of God's righteousness. And that we do that so much today. That's why we live in a world today that I feel like is so far away from God is because we've allowed things in life. We're like Saul. We spared the parts of the Amalekites that did not consider that was too bad. Things that he considered that wasn't bad. The problem with that is, 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 is that's what happened in our world today. Things, well, oh, that's not too bad. We'll just, we'll just take care of it. We'll just, we'll just shun the things that are real bad. But after a while, the things that are real bad becomes not too bad. And that is where we are today as a society. I feel like that's because we, the, the bad things is not bad no more. And as we look through our nation, there's nothing this, after a while, there's nothing Nothing is really bad. And the rebellion against God's clear commandment marked a tipping point in Saul's life. Saul could not longer, no longer sit on Israel's throne with God's favor. And today, you know, sometimes when we allow sin to creep into our life, when we allow the, the, the sin that's not too bad to creep into our life, we, we become like Saul. We're not, we're not be able to be used by God any longer. Samuel delivered this fatal message directly to him in 1 Samuel 15 and 23. He said, For rebellion is as, as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is of iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. It, that is a sobering thing for someone to hear. It might be easy for someone to assume as a pastor that he takes it lightly the responsibility to rebuke wrongdoings or find some, some validation within the consequences about which he has warned someone comes to pass. But nothing could be further from the truth just as the pastor loves his sheep enough to, to correct them when they do wrong. But he loves them enough that he don't feel he feels just like Samuel felt. 
when, 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 when Saul ran aground, Samuel wasn't sitting back laughing and saying, I told you so. Samuel is no different than our, some, some, our, our pastor or any other pastor. Though many of Saul's actions grieved and likely even angered him, still Samuel loved Saul and the role that he played. Though he never went to see Saul again after the, in, his, in this life, the Bible's testimony of how Samuel felt is clear in 1 Samuel 15 and 35. He says, nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Doing the will of God is sometimes hard. Sometimes when we have to, as a, as a, as, as, as a, as a Christian in life, sometimes, you know, when we have to withstand against sin in our life or, or sin in our family's life, and sometimes when we have to stand strong against things in life, it becomes hard. Life can be difficult. You know, we face that every day. There's difficult things we face. Just life is difficult. You know, we go through life, you know, we, we face things, we face storms, we face storms of physical storms, we face spiritual storms, we face all kind of things in life. One need only to witness enough sunrises to endure the days of difficulty and challenge. Monday morning, I was debated about sharing this but in my sermon, but Monday morning, many hundreds and predicted even up to 2,000 people got up and went to work in our neighborhood, in our communities. as a normal Monday morning to just hours later realize their lives was fit to be changed forever. When their job, when they was... Over 500 walked on into their job Monday morning this week, Monday morning, and was handed a paper that their job was no longer there. And so your life changes. Life is challenging. Life is difficult. And there's difficulties you have to face. Life changes. Redemption does not mean every day will be kittens and pink lemonade. We live life and we get up every day. It's not going to be pretty sunshine outside. We face some troubles. In our Christian life, we face some troubles. Instead, we know, as, as, as Samuel found out, that doing the will of God can bring some hard things in life. It can, make, it can bring many days of tears in their life. With the end of Saul's reign having been pronounced on him, who would God select to step into the newly formed leadership role? How should Samuel proceed? He didn't have to think very longer. God gave him a clear instruction. In 1 Samuel 16 and 1, he says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from the reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil and go, I send thee to, the, to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I will provide me a king among his sons. Doing the will of God in the face of opposition can be rather intimidating sometimes. Because you know, if you know, in the story of this story, and I know I've kind of I've bounced back to where Samuel head goes to Jesse's house, but he just he just pronounced or told the king that 
You know, God is don't God, you know, you're not God's choice no more. God is finna anoint a new king. Now Samuel has the job of going to do this, but when he has a, you have clear instructions, we must obey what God tells us to do. And Samuel did just that. One can only imagine the imagine the turmoil that ensued upon Samuel's arrival to Jesse's house, and explain why he was there. When he told them one of the Jesse's sons would be the, be the next king. I mean, I had three brothers. I knew what kind of little rivalries brothers has. Probably each one of them was saying, I, I'm going to be the king that was there. I mean, David wasn't there, but so the older brothers probably was jugging each other. You know, I'm taller than you or. I'm buffer than you, or I got this or that. I'm, I'm going to be the new, next king. He, they're going to anoint me. And, you know, he's, he's one of them probably said it's going to be him or it's going to be the other one. But sibling rivalries took a whole new complex when they found out that among them, one of them would be fit to be rich and powerful. When Samuel saw the old, oldest son, Elam, he immediately assumed, based on nothing more than his, the man's stature and his appearance, that this must be. God's choice. I feel like Samuel, when Samuel saw him, he saw his, his height and he saw his build and he saw, saw how he carried himself. And he said, Samuel envisioned that this man, this hero, he would be an awesome king. He could wear the crown just right and the robe would fit him just right and this guy's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And, you know, he said, I, I feel like he was, you know, he looked at him and said, this has got to be the one. But God quickly put that thought from the prophet's mind when he said in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, he says, I have refused him. It is likely Samuel was somewhat confused by God's disqualification of Elab and perhaps even more when each one of his brothers or sons of Jesse was rejected. The explanation came, can be found, however, in further words in this same scripture in verse 16 and 7. He says, The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. God's criteria for kingdom service is, is not visible to the casual human observer. He didn't matter how tall he was, or he didn't matter how, how broad he was, or he didn't matter how broad his shoulders was. That ain't what God was looking at. God was looking at something that mankind, man couldn't see with their natural eye. It is more found in the, his character and his integrity and probably a lot in, in his passion for the things of God. I think that's what God looks for in someone he wants to be used. It doesn't matter look like if, he's a, if his hair is parted just right or if he, if he has a suit on. I feel like God is looking at, so, at, at the, the inside, the heart of a man if he wants to be used or not. Peter called it the hidden man of the heart. In First Peter, three and four, but it's not hidden, but it is not hidden in the least from God. It's hidden from mankind. Sometimes, you know, we look at someone and we's like, "This guy don't look like he should be a preacher, or this guy shouldn't look like he should be a leader." But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him that whom have to do. Talking about to God. 
Those attributed attributes that are only discernible in the hearts of humans are that that qualifies someone to be or disqualifies someone from being used by God. And that is nothing more, nothing less. What's inside of us? What our passion, our heart, that is what, that's what qualifies us or that's what disqualifies someone from being used by God. There's many elibs of this world, but they are all refused by God. There's people that looks the part, even acts the part, may even sound the part, but they're refused by God. Jesse's youngest son seemed almost an afterthought in the story. All the sons were rejected and no one even mentioned David until Samuel asked Jesse, is there not another somewhere? Even then the tone was almost demissive when, in 1 Samuel 16 11 when Jesse answered and he says, and he said, there remaineth yet the youngest and behold he keepeth the sheep. Could you imagine here he, he gets the word that Samuel's coming to anoint the next king to one of his sons and even his own dad leaves him in the field. He don't think enough that, well, it can't be David. David, whatever reason, you know, he, he left David out in the field. Maybe the sheep, there was a sheep ran off by itself and he sent him out there to get him. We don't know what the reason David wasn't there really. But obviously he wasn't considered one of the sons that he thought was going to be the king. Shepherds were generally considered unclean and disrespectful or dis disputable. For some reason, he was seemingly not favored as were the other brothers. Perhaps they were merely, merely deemed him too young to even be considered for the king. Whatever the cause, no one picked David except the one who matters. The one who matters picked David. Nobody else thought about David. But God already had David anointed as the king before Samuel went to the house. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 and 12, when David walked through the door, he says, And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The one, other, the one others forgot about, the one that others discounted or that he was elevated by God to the ultimate position in Israel. The one everybody else said, well, don't worry about David. Forgot about him. Discounted that he could be the one that, that God would want to anoint. We do that so many times, I feel like sometimes in, in, in our life, as, as I said earlier, we discount what God can do in our own life. We discount what God can do in others' life. We want the hand-picked person, we, you know, the, the pedigree, and we want this or that. You know, we feel like if they're not that pedigree, sometimes it don't happen. God alone decides, and he can and will do as he pleases. We must recognize and accept the truth of Psalm 75 and 7. It says, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and set up up another. God is who puts, elevates, and he's the one who the, that puts back down. So many times there's, I feel like mankind has elevated people. Even in the ministry, I feel like sometimes people get elevated. 
But if you watch that, sometimes they rise real high, real fast. And sometimes it comes crumbling back down. Because if, if, God, don't, if God don't build it up, it's not going to stay. It's truly amazing when an ordinary individual can do things and be guided by, his, by the principles. God can take a common person and change the course of a family, change the first course of a church or even a community or even a nation. One who is otherwise on the far side of some hill tending sheep or fighting off lions and bear in secret suddenly felt the oil of God's anointing running off his head. You know, here this young man, he was minding his own business and probably didn't even know what was going on back at the house. But when he walked through the door, everything changed when the oil started running down his head and he was anointed to the next, be the next king. God has big plans for him. Sometimes God has big plans for us today. Sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes we don't, we don't realize that God, what God really wants to do for us. He has, he has not designated you just to be ordinary. He has created you and saved you for something more. Others may not see it. You may not even see it in yourself. But at times, we may even doubt that God could, could use us. Still, we have a bright, des- a bright destiny. You know, we look at life, you know, we look through life and we find things, you know, we, just, we, we find people being used by God and we discount what God can do sometimes when we have a past in life. Sometimes we say, well, if everybody knows what I did, everybody knows what in my life that, you know, how can I be used by God or how can I put myself on a, you know, stand behind a pulpit or how can I do this or that or ministry? Sometimes we feel like if we don't have the pedigree or we don't have this or that, God cannot use us. I want to share a story today, tonight, about a man. I never actually met this man. I met his son and actually had supper with him one night at a conference. And there was a young, there was a man, a young boy named Charlie. He was born in June of 1942. He was born in a small town in Kansas in a drug-infested, gang-related town, small town, a smaller town, but it had a lot of crime and criminal behavior in it. The young man's dad was an alcoholic, and, it was, and so he was kind of left on the streets. His mom was a taxi cab, taxi cab driver, so he was left alone a lot as a young child. Young Charlie grew up and found himself in, in crime and, and drugs. And by the age of eight, he was addicted to alcohol. And before he was even a teenager, he was addicted to drugs. Before he was, even, before he was 20 years old, he had been arrested over 40 times. Because it was, it was his, where he grew up, his livelihood. That was, he had to survive. But young Charlie grew up. And he met a lady and got married. And one day in 1966, he found a church. An apostolic church. And he 
prayed through and he got the Holy Ghost. And, and in 1966, his life changed. He met God. His mom had always talked about going to church one day. His son told me that his, his mom had told his, his, his dad, he told him, well, we'll go to church one day and meet Jesus. And he said in his own testimony, he says, one day I met Jesus. He said he was an adult after he'd been arrested over 40 times and spent time in prison. But young Charlie grew up. And in 1972, he met the United Pentecostal Board and became a licensed minister and was an evangelist. We know Charlie as Charlie Mahaney, one of the most powerful evangelists the United Pentecostal Church ever had. He preached all over the United States, and there was thousands of people received the Holy Ghost. And he preached all over the actually all over the world. He preached revivals in all over the world. And he, in 1980, he started prison ministry. Started preaching in the prisons, the place where. He, he came out of. He could preach to them because he preached hard. He preached, he, he was a hard, preached hard. If you knew anything about his ministry. But, but he reached a lot of lost souls. But a lot of people would have looked at Charlie when it was young Charlie, the teenager. When young Charlie as the, the young adult, when he was in and out of jail and in and out of prison, would have brushed him off to the side. But I'm here today to tell you sometimes, you know, sometimes as, as, a, as a church, we, we can't just brush off the young person that, or the, the young person that walks through the back door that has so much baggage. Because they made them be the greatest evangelist before. Because God wants to, God will use the overlooked. The one that's disconnected, the ones that we think that cannot be used. That's what, who God wants to use. So tonight we must, you know, keep our hearts right. And we must, we must not look at people or we must not even consider ourselves how we see ourselves. And tonight as I begin to close, I ask us tonight, are we, are we, are we watch, looking into this world for reaching for lost souls? Are we reaching through them through how we see people? Or are we seeing them how God sees them? You know, we, we call, we're called to a revival. But how are we, how we going to create the revival of this church? I heard this minister preaching this a while back, and he says, we must, bring, we must bring the sticks to build the fire. And how we do that, we can't look at the sticks and say, well, this stick ain't worth, this stick won't burn. When Paul, they gathered the ships, they'd been shipwrecked. And they built a fire when they, when they swam the shore. They probably picked up some sticks that was wet, some sticks that probably didn't look like they would burn. But Paul gathered up the sticks and they built a fire. And I feel like as a church, I feel like this tonight to tell this church tonight, I feel like God is wanting us to, to bring, to don't, don't try to clean the fish before we bring them. So many times in life, we need to look at how God looks at people. We need to look at souls like God looks at souls. We don't need to try to sit and decide, well, if this guy here has got a good bank account, let's bring him to church. 
He'll help the building fund. We need to look at souls like God looks at souls. Tonight as we stand across here tonight, God wants to minister to and through the overlooked, the ones that no one else wants to see. So tonight is why I ask us tonight, as, as we go to prayer tonight, I ask us, allow us to pray that God will allow us to see people as He sees them and reach for the ones that God wants to reach and not be like Samuel, pick out the ones that we think this, 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 that's willing to, the ones we see that looks like this would be a good Christian. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.